How are we going on our journey through the New Testament? There were lots of th things that could have focused in on last, uh, from last week. You know, there's the Beatitudes, there's the Lord's Prayer. There's everything you need to know about prayer in those scriptures. You see Christ showing his temperament, which is one of love and one of anger. You see two sides of Christ. It's the one Christ and it's the one God. But he shows intense love and care and concern for the broken and he gets angry with those that are self-righteous, that are loving their independence or loving their traditions or loving the way that things, things that they believe. It just doesn't hold back on the powerful and say so right from the beginning of his ministry, they were plotting to kill him. You know, we've got the Sermon on the Mount last week. We've got the Sermon on the Plain. Um, it seems that there are two different places. Maybe he had two different audiences, but they were very similar sermons. Wonderful comparison and contrast between what's written in both Matthew and Luke there. So there was lots of nuggets out of last week. But um, today I want to look at two defining conversations you can kind of guess that they're defining conversations because they're in John. And the Gospel of John, more than any of the other Gospels, is talking about why Jesus did what he did. Matthew was uh, very much a Gospel for the, for the Jews and relating Christ's ministry to the prophecies of the Old Testament. Mark and Luke talk much more about what Jesus did. John was the disciple, the writer, that explored and really expounded why Jesus had to do what he did. And so he had these two conversations in John 3 and John 4. In John 3, he's talking to a man who's, um, Nicodemus was his name, and he's talking to this man who's, who's a leader, he's a ruler, he's a, he was certainly important. He's talking to this guy, and he lays out the gospel for him. Then in John 4, he's talking to this broken woman, someone that he should never have spoken to, never have sat down to. And it's just a one-on-one -on -one with him and this lady. And he offers her something that changes her life forever. And it's something that he's offered us, living waters, that changes us forever. So that we do come to a point and we're busting about what Christ has done for us and is going to do for us. These two stories in John 3 and John 4, particularly John 3, take me right back, I have to say. Um, I remember the first pastor I had when I was a kid. Um, he seemed to read from John 3 every second week. And I confess that my response was often, oh, not again. Um, the other week, he would talk about Mark 16. I've really enjoyed the scriptures, so I'm going to share them in here. I'm just going to read uh, these two passages. I've cut out a whole lot. Uh, if you want to read the whole context, that's some homework for you. I'm just going to read it uh, out of the NLT because I find that much easier for us to just comprehend uh, quickly without sort of particularly studying, and then we'll talk about two really key aspects out of them. So starting in John 2, at the end of John 2, verse 23, 
He says, because of the miraculous signs that Jesus did in Jerusalem at the Passover celebration, many began to believe in him. But Jesus didn't trust them because he knew all about people. No one needed to tell him about human nature for he knew what was in each person's heart. Now there was a man called Nicodemus. He was a Jewish religious leader. He was a Pharisee. And after dark one evening he came to speak with Jesus. Rabbi, he said, teacher, we all know that God has sent you to teach us. Your miraculous signs are evidence that God is with you. Jesus replied and said, I tell you the truth, unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. What do you mean, exclaimed Nicodemus, how can an old man go back into his mother's womb and be born again? And Jesus said, I assure you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and of the spirit. Humans can reproduce only human life. The Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. So don't be surprised when I say that you must be born again. Down to verse 13, no one has ever gone to heaven, Jesus replies to Nicodemus at this point, and returned. But the Son of Man, me, I've come down from heaven. Just as Moses lifted up a bronze snake on the pole in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up so that everyone who believes in him will have eternal life. And now the entire gospel in one verse. For this is how much God loved the world. He gave his one and his only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. God sent his son into the world not to judge the world but to save the world through him. God's light in verse 9 and came into the world but the people loved the darkness more than the light for their actions were evil. In 21, those who do what is right come to the light so that others can see what they are doing, what God wants. Some key points, we'll come back to this, but the key points are believing, being born again and about Christ being lifted up like the bronze serpent was. Let's jump over to John 4. Um, so Jesus, about verse 3, he left Judea, returned to Galilee. He had to go through Samaria on the way. In verse 6, Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, he was tired from the long walk. He sat down wearily beside the well about noon. And soon a Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, please give me a drink. He was alone at the time because his disciples had gone into the village to buy some food. The woman was surprised, for Jews refused to have anything to do with the Samaritans. And she said to Jesus, you're a Jew and male. I'm a Samaritan and a woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? Jesus replied, if you only knew the gift that God has for you and who you were speaking to, you would ask me and I would give you living water. Jesus replied, anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again in verse 13. But those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh, a bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. Please, sir, the woman said, give me this water. Then I'll never be thirsty again and I won't have to come here to get water. 
and they have a conversation about uh, her background. And Jesus uh, tells her in verse 23, but the time is coming. Indeed, it's here now when true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is looking for those who will worship him that way. For God is spirit, so those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. Then I'm going to jump right back down to uh, 39. Many Samaritans, they'd uh, heard the report from this lady. She went back to the, t- the village and told them. And so they came out to see what this was, uh, who this guy was. And many Samaritans from the village believed in Jesus because the woman had said, he told me everything I ever did. When they came out to see him, they begged him to stay in their village. And so he stayed for two days, long enough for many to hear his message and believe. Then they said to the woman, now we believe, not just because of what you've told us, because we've heard him ourselves. Now we know that he is indeed the saviour of the world. Belief is what saves us. It's what these verses are all about. These verses are very clear that if you believe in God, you will be saved, unequivocally. If you're sitting here today and wondering about your relationship to God, maybe you don't have a relationship here yet, well, this is a place to start. By hearing the word of God and allowing that word of God to transform you so that you can believe him, like the Samaritans there. There are a number here today that uh, you know, haven't experienced the complete salvation. Maybe you haven't yet been baptised in water. Maybe you haven't yet received the Holy Spirit. Maybe you've been seeking for the Holy Spirit for a while and that hasn't happened. Christ's promise here is that if you believe, then you'll receive. So we never need to come to God in prayer saying, what's wrong with me? Um... Why can't I receive the Holy Spirit like someone else? We never have to have these thoughts and these concerns and these troubles because we can rely on Scripture. We can rely on the faithful Word of God that we will be saved. Sometimes we think it's hard to believe, that it's hard to respond to something that we haven't quite seen yet and I guess it's a bit like a baby isn't it baby um, before it's born uh, it has some sense it gets some sense of the uh, the world around it it can hear things apparently it can hear its uh, mum talking maybe it can hear its father yelling I don't know but it, it, it has some sense that there's a world that there was no consciousness real consciousness of what it is that out there yeah, they respond a little bit to the, the stimulus from outside, but that's about it. Until they're born and until they take their breath and suddenly they, they start to absorb all of the sights and the sounds and the senses that come with being part of this world. I think sometimes that's, you know, before we're born again, before we're born again, maybe that's... Also, what we're sensing, we get some sense that there's something bigger than us. We get some sense that there's something out there. Maybe we can feel it a little bit. 
Maybe we can see something a little bit in shadows from the people that we're associating with. But it's only when we're born again, when the Spirit comes in and gives us spiritual life, that we truly get a sense and begin to get a sense of who God really is and what God wants for us and of us. The reason I started at the end of chapter 2 Remember it said because of the miraculous signs that Jesus did in Jerusalem at the Passover celebration, many began to believe in him. But Jesus didn't trust them because he knew all about people. Believing in something that you see, it's a wonderful foundation and it's a really important thing for us when we have no real consciousness of God to be able to see God working amongst us, well, amongst people. And our testimony is incredibly important. But so many of these people that believed, saw Jesus doing these remarkable things, raising people from the dead, speaking with wonderful wisdom and clarity to men of power, people saw this from Christ and yet stopped believing. They walked away. Our belief can't just rest on what we see. It's got to rest on the power of God that enters into us. I guess that's part of the reason why we need the Holy Spirit because that's God witnessing to us then. And we have this personal revelation. And I can't make you believe my belief. The power of God is in what he does in us as we are born again. So if you have been baptised and not yet received the Holy Spirit, then take that promise that as you believe, God will save you. It takes persistence. Luke 11 talks about that. Luke 11 is the, is the, the chapter for those that are, are seeking for the Spirit. And God's absolute promise in Luke 11 is if you are persistent in prayer, confident in God as you believe in him, then he will respond wonderfully. If you haven't been baptised in water yet, then that's an easy thing to do when we believe in Jesus Christ. Because when we believe in Christ, we will just want to do exactly what he wants of us. And these are things that that Jesus said to Nicodemus later on in the chat, we read that, that we must be born of water and of the Spirit. We must be baptised in water. We must be baptised in the Spirit. And I love that expression as well. It's easy of us to appreciate, I guess, that we've got to be immersed in water, that we've got to be thoroughly covered in water, because that's physical, that's practical. We can see ourselves doing that. But he says, not only are you immersed in water, you are immersed in the Spirit. You are covered, you are drenched, you are saturated in the spirit. And it's a wonderful expression. It's not something that we just get like a gift and put on the shelf. This is something that comes right inside and then bubbles up. Sure, it needs attention. Sure, it needs all of these good habits that we were talking about yesterday. Sure, it needs to put off the seven bad habits also covered yesterday. Sure, we need to do those things to fan the fire that's within us. But don't sell yourself short if you've received the Holy Spirit that you don't have the fire of God in you. Maybe it's a little ember, but it's there. 
In Luke chapter 5, when Christ is calling his disciples, he tells them to follow him. And a few other places where Christ calls his disciples as well. And in the Amplified Bible, it's got some notes uh, there about what it means to follow. And it says that you can follow someone three ways. You can walk with them, which means that you're basically in their presence. You accompany them. They go to the shops, you go to the shops. But there's no personal belief, there's no commitment. You're just accompanying To follow can also mean that you accept his salvation, the salvation that Christ offers and allow yourself to be changed. But the third one is the biggie. The third one in following Christ is to identify yourself with him. That's the biggie. You know, this is where Peter came a cropper. Peter, this wonderful example for all of us. I love him. He's, he's the guy that, you know, foot and mouth disease. He spoke before he thought. But his passion was on his sleeve. This is the guy that walked on water. Wow. How does that happen? How does a man be so provoked to such faith? And then he's standing around the fire when Jesus is being interrogated, and it's scary. And he walks away and he refuses to be identified with Christ. We, we see a little bit in the scripture just how much angst that caused him when he realised what he'd done. And he was such a faithful apostle right to the end and right to the pretty terrible death that he seemed to have had to endure as well. But he was glad, glad to do it because it, yeah. It honored, he honoured Christ in his death, I guess is what he was really believing and understanding. So this belief that we're talking about is more than acknowledging. This is a belief that causes us to identify with Christ. Amen? To identify with Christ. That everything that is Christ-like is what I want to be like. That everything that Christ loves is what I want to love. Is that everything that Christ hates, I want to hate and I want to put away from me because I'm identifying with the Son of God. So that promise that we've just read about is that as we believe in God, he will change us, he will transform us, he will cause us to be born again. And so if there's any negativity, if there's any concern that you have about your relationship with God, if there's any way that you think you're not good enough for God, well, that's a good thought to think because you're actually, that's right, none of us are good enough for God. And because we're not good enough, he promises us that he's going to cause us to be born again. And born again is more than changed. It's, it's way more than transformed. It's starting again. So as much as I want to encourage you, those that perhaps haven't experienced the full experience of salvation, of being baptised and being born of water, I just encourage you so much to be 
confident of your belief in him and respond to him in the way that he wants you to. He wants us to uh, humble ourselves before him. Humility is not something we bring just at the point of salvation. It's, humility has got to be something that we bring every day of our lives. Amen? But we're born again. I want to explore this a little bit more. We are born again. God starts us off again. But I know that there is people here, even today, and where you've come from is not a happy place. And you struggle with things. The promise of Scripture here is that we are born again. We are restarted. We are revived. We are brand new. Our theme for Easter camp, by the way, brand new. And I don't think any of us in this room really appreciate just what it is when we are born again. Because we look in the mirror, we look the same. Uh, yeah, we eat the same food and we do the same job and, and everything sort of seems a little bit the same because we're still in this world. But God's promise, Christ has promised that you've been made brand new. You've restarted. You don't have to think that because of my poor heritage that I am bound to be this or that or the other thing. We are made brand new. And this is something for us to remember every day because we are going to struggle with things. We are going to find things, life and tough, gets tough. But if we appreciate that we have been born again, that we are made brand new with God our Father and not some you know, person that tried to do their best maybe or didn't even try to do their best and bring us up as their, our natural father. We've got a godly father who's intimately involved in our life forever. And this change thing, we have to, in a way, sort of allow it to happen. And it can surprise us. You know, I thought of one particular thing. It's something that we all have had to deal with, which is offence. I just want to use this as an example. Um, I, I use this because everyone here has been offended, right? And when we're offended, when we're hurt, our natural reaction is to hide, to withdraw, to lash out. Certainly not to look out for the other person. Can we imagine going to the cross, looking up at Christ and saying, please forgive my sins? And Christ says, yeah, sure, right now. But first you've got to go and forgive this other person. And we would respond, sorry, I can't. The offence has been too great. The hurt is too deep. The wound is too raw. I can't do that. Seriously. But you know, we're brand new now. So forgiving actually isn't enough anymore. Now that we're brand new, now that we have put on the mind of Christ and not our own natural mind with its natural reactions, forgiveness is only half the story. The other half is that we're peacemakers. Blessed are the peacemakers. So when we're hurt and offended and our natural reaction is to hurt and respond back, that's not what we do anymore. We run towards the problem. We run towards that person with the love that Jesus had when he hung on the cross. He hung on the cross with all our shame 
with all the offence that you've caused and that others have caused you. He hung on the cross full of sin so that we don't need to. This is radical change. It's total renewal. This is born again. Thank God we are born again and don't have to cut our normal reactions away. What a surprise. You know, it's, it's contradiction again. We can sort of understand that this is the case, but still I'm angry and I'm hurt. But the peace of God, the, the work of God in us, as we appreciate what it is, how powerful it is, how brand new we have been made in him by being born again, then the only thing that will ever hurt us is something that hurts him, is the thing that causes Christ grief and that causes God grief. You know, we've heard, you know, the time heals wounds. I don't think time does. I think time sometimes might heal grief with a bit of distance, but time doesn't heal these kind of wounds. Only a change of attitude, only the power of God working through us changes these situations. Only a brand new attitude. And this isn't hard for us to do. It's impossible for us to do if we are responding as the person that we were. But the impossible is made possible, isn't it, by the work of the Holy Spirit in us? As we allow the Holy Spirit to work in us. I've laboured this example. I just think it's a really good one to demonstrate just how different we are made. And the more that we appreciate that difference that we are made by being born again, the more we're going to treasure it, the more we're going to understand that whatever hang-ups that we had before don't need to be hang-ups anymore. It's not just offence. It's anything in our life that has been a problem for us God has done it, dealt with it. This is what it means to live in the light. This is what it means to get away from darkness. This is living in the light of God and this is something that we desire. Now it's true, for example, in that, in that example of offence, it's true that some people, there won't be any amount of love or peacemaking or work, but it won't be because we haven't tried. You see the difference? It won't be because we haven't tried. And they will end up standing condemned by the cross of Christ. Nicodemus seems to have been a good man. Um, And he certainly seemed to have responded to what Christ had to say to him. He stood up to his peers in the Sanhedrin. He even uh, helped bury Christ's body after Christ had died. The baptism that Jesus was saying that he had to go through, he washes away a couple of things, one I haven't really always thought of. We know that baptism washes away sin, amen? It also washes away our good deeds. Have you thought about it in that context before? Baptism washes away our personal sin and our personal goodness. Because anything in us where we think that we've somehow attained some level of goodness is filthy rags before Christ before God. So it washes all of those things away and we are replaced with all of the goodness of God.
For this is how much God loved the world, that he gave his one and only Son that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. A child can understand this verse, but none of us can really comprehend its greatness, its breadth, the love that caused him to do this, the love that he has for us. There is a terrible truth in those scriptures that we've read. There is a place before God of righteousness, of security, of safety. And there's a place without God of hell, of separation, of pain. No one in their right mind would choose the other. And yet, how easy is it for our lives to preoccupy us and for us to make decisions that aren't the healthy ones that we were talking about, sometimes the unhealthy ones we also mentioned. Truly we need this living water to be running out of us. You know the other wonderful thing that happens when you're born is you get a birthright. Now that doesn't mean probably very much to many of us here given the circumstances of our parents. Uh, they haven't really got that much to pass on to us. It's a birthright, it's a right of birth. And as we are born into God's family, we become able to access the birthright that is now ours. It's a right. It's not something to be earned. It's a right by birth. That as you are a child of God, you are due all of these good things. And you are due the promise of eternal life with him. We don't want to walk away from the family. We can do that. But we have a right by birth to every good thing, given who our Abba Father is. So these are just two wonderful conversations that God had with a... Nicodemus, a bloke, and this woman, and really sets the gospel out to believe in him. You will be saved. There's some things you need to do, but as you believe and respond, you will be saved. To the woman, rivers of living water will flow, will be transformed, be refreshed. We won't need to look at the world and our relationships and our circumstances the way we did before. Now we look at them with fresh eyes, with God's eyes, with spiritual eyes, because we've not been born just naturally now. We've been born spiritually.